0: appreciate that good prayer. Continue to pray for me if you would as I seek to bring a message to you that the Lord's laid on my heart here this morning. If you'll turn in your Bibles to 2nd Samuel the 7th chapter. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of a thoughtful servant, a thoughtful servant. And we consider this morning in our servant series the individual who in the scripture is referred to the most as my servant. That these statistics do anything for you, David is referred to as the servant of God 22 times specifically in the scripture. Interestingly, 11 of those times, it says, my servant, David, and the other 11 times it says, David, my servant, if that does anything for you. For me, that just simply tells me that God's word is perfect. <laughs> but two times, Nathan, the prophet, speaking the words of God, refers to David ...from the Lord as David, my servant. Two times Isaiah, which is many years after David, refers to David as the servant of God. Four times Ezekiel, three times Jeremiah, two times in the Psalms, and one time by God directly speaking to Solomon. You have the reference to my servant David or David, my servant. And it's interesting as I looked over those occurrences and studied and meditated upon them without exception, they all relate to the kingdom of Israel and in a greater way still relate to the kingdom of God today. We'll see that, I hope, Lord willing, as we go along. But it's all connected. When he refers to my servant David or David my servant, it's connected to the kingdom of God and to the kingdom of Israel because David, of course, was the king. So we want to consider David, and it was it's very difficult to try to, zero in on some aspects of David's life because we have a lot like Moses we have a lot of information about David you know we could start from the beginning basically the beginning of his life near the time when he was just a boy and go all the way down to the end of his life Uh, Moses you know begins from before he was born before Moses was born all the way down to the end of Moses life so it's very difficult to come together and and just see a few aspects about David but I do want to focus in on when the Lord refers to David as my servant that's what we've been trying to do so 2nd Samuel 7 and we want to read a, a good portion of scripture here to get the context of what's going on in the life of David now remember as we read this this is obviously post Goliath I mean this is years after Goliath it's probably around the time that David is between 45 and 50 years old and it, it's also pre the Bathsheba incident. That's important to note. So let's read in 2 Samuel 7. And it came to pass when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me an house for me to dwell in? Did you notice he said, Go and tell my servant David? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying... Why build ye not me in house of cedar? Now, therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheepcote. Now, notice the language here, because we're going to be looking at some of these references. God tells Nathan to tell David, Remember, I took thee from the sheepcote, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them anymore as before time and as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies. Also the Lord telleth thee that he, the Lord, will make thee David and house. And when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers... I, the Lord, will set up thy seed after thee, which will proceed, shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever. Before thee, thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? That's quite a bit of reading, but I think it's important for us to see the context of when and how the Lord refers to David as his servant. David... As I thought about what to bring out about this servant, David, it was the fact that David is thoughtful. David was a thoughtful servant. It took David thinking of God to come up with the idea of building the Lord a house. He had to be sitting around and thinking within himself, what can I do to show God gratitude? So David was a thoughtful servant. I don't think you could be a servant... in a a physical sense or in even a spiritual discipleship sense, I don't think you could be a servant and not be thoughtful. Think about if you go to the restaurant, the waiter or the waitress is a servant. And we all know the good servant, the good waitress, the good waiter is thoughtful. They don't let your tea run down or your your glass, whatever you're drinking. They don't let it run down. Uh, They make sure that you have what you need. They're in, inquiring, but not over inquired. Have you have you been in a restaurant? You know where the the waiter or the waitress was just a little too uh, in the way. <laughs> but that good waiter, that good servant, that good waitress knows exactly how to fit in and not uh, get in your way and not disturb your visiting and your conversation, and also make sure that your visiting and your conversation is not disturbed by you going. Well, I don't have anything to drink, or you know, I need this. or I need. I need more butter or sour cream for my baked potato, I need this or that. I need more dressing that's That good servant is thoughtful. Does that make sense? You've all maybe been in restaurants where you had a not a very thoughtful servant, and how big of a tip did you leave <laughs> now Of course, granted, that type of servant may be, uh, have a may have a reason to be very thoughtful and hope that you'll tip them well and and of course, that's a whole other thing to consider. but for the servant of God. It's important that the servant of God be thoughtful. Now, it's also, let me say this, as we look at this, I hope you notice that God told David he would not build him a house. Did you notice that? God said, your son is going to build me a house. So, Brother Tim, could there be times in my life when I'm being thoughtful about God and I come up with some great idea and I think this is the best thing since sliced bread and yet it may be something that God doesn't want me to do? Absolutely, just ask David. David had this great thought. It was a great idea to build a house for God. And God said, I don't want you to do it. I want your son to do it. That ought to cause us to be even more thoughtful towards God, shouldn't it? Making sure that our plans and our, the things that we devise to do and our strategies line up with what the Lord says. Could I actually have a strategy and a plan that the Lord says, I don't want you to do? What David did. That ought to just make us want to be more thoughtful and more careful about how we uh, serve God, right? So David came up with this great idea because he was being thoughtful about God. And God said, have I ever asked? If you read that and are not real careful in your reading of it, you might think God is being sort of smart aleck. If God wanted to be smart aleck, he wouldn't be wrong. And there's a few times he's been very trite in his responses. But I read that in, in terms of God being humbled by what David did. Can you imagine that the thoughtfulness of David towards God and what David wanted to do, it actually... It it actually brought out a humble response because the Lord is humble. We get that. That's part of his character. But he was not angry and he was not being smart aleck. He was he was just rehearsing. This really moves me that you're being thoughtful towards me. And is that not our own response when people or it ought to be when people are thoughtful towards us or towards one another? Doesn't it move us? Doesn't it humble us? Well, notice how you're just piling humility on top of humility here. David is humbling himself in the days of rest and saying, I think I'll build the Lord a house. Uh, Nathan says, go ahead and do it. The Lord says, no, tell David his son's going to do it. So David, Nathan tells David, your son's going to do it. And David didn't get mad or upset. David went in and sat down and I could just see him sitting there looking down and going, who am I? The Lord, I, I, ch- I wanted to do something for the Lord. And the Lord has come back and told me that he's going to do something for me. He's going to set up and establish my throne forever. And some of you may be thinking, well, wait a minute. You know, there's no king on a throne over there in Israel today. That is correct. Because the kingdom that, Je- that the Lord is ultimately referring to is the kingdom that was established when Jesus came and the church of God is part of that kingdom. And you're still a part of it today. These things that we're talking about, I hope you don't feel detached and distanced from them because they affect what you're doing here today as part of the kingdom of God. So David, the thoughtful servant, he, he, he's having good thoughts towards God. I want to do something for God. I want to express. Now you, a, a lot of times you may hear people, they go out and they say, well, you know, I, I've had this great experience with the Lord and I want to go out and do something great. That's something that ought to be tested by what the Lord is pleased with. You know, starting a foundation, that can be a good thing. You know, starting a new movement. You know, there's things that can be good in that respect. But when it comes to the church of God... Everything is already good enough in the sense of the structure that God set up. We don't need a new structure. We don't need, and I mean, the, the way the church is set up. You know, God has given the gift of the ministry. God has given uh, you voices to sing and to pray. Uh, he's given you the ability to fellowship and interact with one another. You know, that is the framework that God has set up. The, church, the framework of God's church, God's kingdom, doesn't need to be improved on. So think about this. If anybody ever has an idea, well, I want to improve on the church of God. That's not a proper thought. It's like you're saying, well, what God did was not good enough. So I need to make it better. We need to believe that what God did is good enough. And we just need to make ourselves better in how we're acting and interacting in it. See? So David, he has good thoughts towards God. He, He is being thoughtful. And he's also being hospitable. If you were going to build a house for someone, for them to, to live in or reside in or visit in, that's very hospitable, is it not? That's what David wanted to do. Uh, the Lord said, I've never asked anybody to build me a house. I can't be contained by a house. He says, I've only said, let me dwell in a tent. Let me walk in a tent. And so it's kind of funny to think about what David is, in a sense, you know, he, he wants to contain God in some house. But you can't contain God. David was just being hospitable. That's a great lesson for us in terms of being thoughtful servants, is it not? To be hospitable towards one another. To be welcoming towards... It doesn't just mean, well, I welcome somebody into my home. It does mean that, for sure. But it also means just to have a hospitable attitude towards people. Not dismissive of people. So David is hospitable towards God. And isn't it the epitome of a servant to make the people they are serving, in this case, make God, make them comfortable... Isn't that the epitome of being a servant? You know, a bad waiter, bad waitress is not making you comfortable. They're, you're having to worry, are they coming back? A good waiter, a good waitress is, is keeping you comfortable in what you're doing. Now, God's humble, and what I think is a humble response, uh, He begins to rehearse some things about David. And it's very important. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about the servant's quest in relation to Abraham. And what made Abraham great? And it, it is across the board the case with all of these servants of God. What made them great was the call of God upon their life. Amen. And that's the same thing we have here. God refers to when He called David to be <clears throat> something more than just a shepherd. Look at verse 8 in 2 Samuel 7. He says, Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheepcote from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. If you look over in Psalms 78. And Psalm 78 is interesting. If you want a good summary of the history of Israel, Psalm 78 has that. It, it takes you from the days of Moses all the way down to the days of David. And we want to focus in on verse 67, which is very far into this very long psalm. And notice in verse 67, notice what the Lord says. This is where the Lord is referring in the Lord's thoughts, in the Lord's heart to David. And this is interesting because it has to do with election. It has to do with the choosing of God. Moreover, in verse 67, he, God, refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim. Those are two great names in Israel. I mean who who before the days of David and before the days of Moses, who could look at anybody that was any greater than Joseph? I mean, Abraham, that was Joseph was after Abraham. But you see, Joseph is a great figure in the scripture. And he has, you would think, well, the Lord would choose Joseph to do further his work. But it says he refused Joseph. And and, you know, usually we talk about God choosing one and not choosing another in terms of Jacob and Esau, don't we? And people say, well. And it's just not fair, you know, what God did to Esau. He didn't choose him. Well, And if you look at the life of of Jacob, it's not fair that God chose Jacob because he was kind of a wormy guy. He He was sort of like a slick lawyer type. You know, he conned some people out of some very serious stuff. It's not about fairness in God choosing Jacob and not choosing Esau. It's not about fairness. It's about mercy. See, God's mercy sparing us from what we deserve. Well, this is an interesting teaching about God's choosing. But we're not talking about somebody who's wicked and somebody who's good. Somebody who's chosen and somebody who's not chosen. We're talking about a child of God. Joseph, it was a child of God, right? God was with him. And here it says that God passed over Joseph, who was a child of God, and he chose Judah. Verse 68. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? You remember Judah? Judah is the the one who lived a horrible life. But God got a hold of him and changed him. The call of God went upon the life of Judah. And so the reason this is important in our message is because David descends from the tribe of Judah. It says he refused the tabernacle of Joseph. He chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah. The Mount Zion, which he loved, and he built his sanctuary like high places, palaces, excuse me, like high palaces, like the earth which he had established forever. He chose David, also his servant. Now listen to the language. And took him from the sheepfolds, or the sheep coat. From following the ewes, great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people, and Israel his inheritance. Now, can you get that? That's some beautiful imagery, isn't it? Maybe you didn't grow up on a farm like I did. And maybe you have a hard time visualizing uh, what he's describing here. I didn't grow up on a sheep farm, but I can certainly visualize to some degree what's going on here. Can you picture David, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. And he's following along with the ewes, the, the mama sheep, who are about to have their children, about, their children. About to have their young, about to have their little baby lambs. And David is being very sensitive towards these mama sheep. You know, he's not roughing them up. He's not pushing them around. He's following, them, following along with them so that he can take care of them when they begin to bear their young. That's a very tender and beautiful picture. And you say, well, what's the significance? God was looking at that, at the care and the thoughtfulness of David towards what he was put in charge of. Are y'all hearing me? David was very thoughtful To what he had been entrusted with. His father had entrusted him with these sheep. You see? And now these mama sheep are having their babies. And David is very sensitive towards taking care of them. That tells me something about the heart of David. He cared about the things that he was given to do. And he also cared about the young. He said, well, that's talking about sheep. (laughs) The Lord calls him to be the shepherd of Israel. And don't you know he cared about the young? He cared about the little ones. Is that not can you think in the scripture where Jesus himself who is the super David, the super servant David? Jesus himself said suffer the little ones to come unto me. He took them upon his knee, he talked to them, he interacted with them, he didn't shun them. Oh, that's the heart of God. You understand that? The heart of service is to take care of the young. And God says I took him from following along with these mama sheep and brought him to feed Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. Look over a few pages to Psalm 89. As we see, see this theme continuing on David, the servant, the, the thoughtful servant. Psalm 89, and let's read in verse 2. God says, For I have said, Mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shall thou establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen... I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. You see, that's a reference to 2 Samuel 7. You see, that's referred to over and over again. The Lord says, you want to build me a house? You're being thoughtful towards me? I'm telling you, I'm going to build you a house and your throne will be filled forever. Turn over to Psalm 132, just a few pages over. We have the same theme, the same reference to 2 Samuel 7 where David wants to build a house for the Lord, and the Lord says, I'm going to build a house for you. And it, isn't, that, isn't that the character of God? <laughs> you know, we want to do something for God, and He does something infinitely greater for us. That's just how good our Lord is. Let's read now several verses here, Psalms 132. Lord remember David and all his afflictions. And by the way, it, it is believed that this was written in the days when Absalom had revolted against his father. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore unto the Lord, how David swore unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. Watch verse 3. This is David's thought process leading up to saying, I want to build a house for the Lord. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Lo, we have heard it in Ephratah. By the way, that's a reference to Bethlehem, Ephratah. we found it in the fields of the wood. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest. Thou and the ark of thy strength. See, these are all references to the worship of God. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of Of thine anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth unto David, He will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set up thy throne. You see, that's a direct reference to what happened in 2 Samuel 7 when David was being thoughtful towards the Lord. Okay, that's I think that's enough of establishing the importance of why God refers to David as my servant. He was at this point in his life, David was being very thoughtful towards God. Now let's observe a few instances when David was being thoughtful towards God and the results that came and then let's observe a few instances where David was just thinking about himself which by the way is the opposite of thinking about others <laughs> so consider these examples and you don't have to turn there I just cuz you're very I know you're familiar with them but in 1st Samuel 16 and 11 that's where David is called anointed that's when that's where the Lord took him from the sheep coat that's when Samuel comes to anoint a new king and he comes to Jesse the father of David and he the Lord says I'll show you who the new king is going to be and Jesse's got these eight sons and the seven sons pass before Samuel and Samuel says basically on every one of them he's like well this is probably him he's nice looking he looks like a leader and the Lord says not him (laughs) so he does that uh, seven times and he goes through all seven sons there. And then Samuel says in verse 11 of First Samuel 16, And Samuel said unto Jesse, are, there, are these Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. Now, what was David doing? David was being thoughtful. He was minding the job that he'd been given. You know, you, you you might think, well, that that was just not very fair to David. All the seven boys got called together, but David, you know, the little nobody is left out there keeping the sheep. <laughs> you might think, well, David that David probably had a little pity party over that. He's out there thinking, all I have got to do is take care of these sheep. <laughs> and we, we tend to do that. You know, David might have thought, well, I, he's a victim. I'm being victimized by my brothers because you know, and my dad because they won't let me come. And be a part of this great whatever thing Samuel is doing. No. David's out there thinking about the job that he's got. He's thinking about others. He's thinking about what his father has told him to do. He had something for his for, to do that his father had given him. And the Lord chooses him and takes him from that job. And he sent and he brought him in. And it says in verse 12. Now David was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. For this is he. <laughs> that's something, in it? See, David is doing his job. David is doing something that would seem insignificant to the world. I mentioned to you that ordination service that we had yesterday. That's so insignificant to the world. And I was sitting there thinking as, as we were ordaining uh, Brother Jackie. I was thinking, oh Lord, what lives he may bless. What individual people he may minister to. God bless him in that. That is nothing to the eyes of the world. But I was thinking, may the Lord bless this man to minister to the sick, to minister to the wayward, to minister to those that need to grow in grace and and be a servant to the people of God, (laughs) to not think about himself. David is not thinking about himself. David is thinking about the job that his father has given him to do. Another situation not far from 1 Samuel 16 and very familiar with David and Goliath, right? So David goes out to the field this is after he was anointed to be king, but remember he didn't take the throne for many years, not until he was age 30. He's about 15 years old. So David goes out to the field, and I mean, it's almost a no-brainer, isn't it? How could David be thinking about himself if he went out there to face Goliath, <laughs> right? <laughs> David's not thinking about himself when he goes out to the field. David wasn't thinking about himself before he went out into the field, as you see in verse Uh, 33 when Saul says you're not able to go against this Philistine you're not able to fight against this guy and David says to Saul thy servant kept his father's sheep and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock and I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth and when he arose against me I caught him by his beard smote him and slew him thy servant slew both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be one of them "...as one of them, seeing he to defied the armies of the living God." Who was David thinking about? He's thinking about God. When David goes out there and stands before the Philistine, and, and the Philistine looks upon him in verse 42 and disdains him, which means he mocked him. He said, am I a dog that you come out against me with sticks? David's got his sling in his hand. He says, are you just coming out after me with a stick? And he curses David. And the Philistine says, come to me and I'll feed your flesh to the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. And David says, you come at me with a sword and a spear, this verse 45, and a shield. But I come in the name of the Lord, God of hosts. Who is David thinking about? The God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. (laughs) That's bold language, isn't it? All because he's thinking about God. He's thinking about the abilities of God. He's thinking about the character of God. He's not thinking about himself. He's not sitting there saying, I've practiced my sling ever since I was seven years old and I know I can hit anything that I want to hit. He didn't say that. He says, I'll give your carcass and the carcasses of the Philistines to the fowls of the air because there is a God in Israel. You see, he's thinking about somebody else. You know how much trouble and how much drama we'll avoid in our life if we just stop thinking about ourselves. (laughs) And start thinking about others and how many great victories we may win. (laughs) And then we come back to 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel 7, where David as a reigning king. Y'all understand he is, he's had victory. He's never lost a battle. God has expanded his kingdom. I believe if my time frames are right, I know, I know for a fact my time frames are right that David is on the throne in Jerusalem Jerusalem was taken by David. David went on the throne, I think, age 33. And then seven years later, he actually ascends the throne by taking the city of Jerusalem, which was a very fortified city. So it's an interesting read if you want to read about how he took it. So he has established himself at age 40 in the throne of Jerusalem, which is a fortified city. And that's where he's going to build the temple. So sometime between age 45 and 50 or so is what I think. In 2 Samuel 7... That David is, is resting. He, he's not having a fight. He's not having a war. And he's sitting back. And what would most kings be thinking about whenever they've been given rest like that? <laughs> they might be thinking some terrible things. But David is thinking about God. He's thinking about how he can repay and bless the name of God. Now consider the times that David thought of David. And this is kind of mixed in with, with the same time frames of when he... Uh, was when he confronted Goliath. You know, he confronts Goliath on one day and then some time goes by and he finds out that Saul's trying to kill him. So in 1 Samuel 21, is David thinking about God or is David thinking about David? He comes to the priest, Ahimelech, and David's conduct in lying in front of the priest thinking about himself and self-preservation and preserving himself, and now he's got kind of a victim mentality. Oh, he's out to get me. He lies to the priest's and eventually, it leads to the death of all of the priests in that particular town. Saul puts them all to death because David went there. You know, David. You say, "Well, did he have any choice?" Of course, he had a choice. Whenever he heard that Saul was after him, this is the same guy that had slain Goliath. This is the same guy that had followed the sheep coat that had killed the lion and the bear. He should have just said, "Bring it on. The Lord's on my side. The Lord's uh, taking care of me. Nobody's gonna. The Lord has anointed me as the next king." And in a humble way, you know, nobody's gonna touch me. As a matter of fact, one time whenever David was on the run previous to this, it says that Saul sent men and they basically kind of had David cornered, and this is this the Lord sure has a sense of humor. So these men are coming with their shields and their, their swords and their bows and their arrows, and David's kind of cornered. And it says those men begin to prophesy. (laughs) Can you imagine? We're here to arrest David and they just start going, praise God from whom all blessings flow and praise the Lord for all his deliverance. I mean, they just kind of freak out into just this praising God and they're just walking around praising God. (laughs) David was cornered. Is the Lord going to deliver David? Of course he is. And not only that, when Saul heard that those men did not arrest David, Saul said, well, I'll go get him myself. (laughs) The Lord certainly has a sense of humor because it says that when Saul showed up to get David, that he started prophesying. And he prophesied in a very bizarre way. He took off all his clothes. <laughs> Can y'all picture the, the king of Israel, Saul, at the time? He just takes all his clothes off. He's running around without any clothes on. And he's saying, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. He's not touching David. You think God was going to take that care of David or not? Of course he was. But David started thinking about himself. Oh, he's going to get me. And he just seen Saul running around the town naked prophesying. I mean, that's humorous to think about. You know, you wonder where the emperor has no clothes came from. That's probably where it came from. And so David takes off on the run. He runs and he hides. David could have done something else. David could have stayed put. He could have said, I'm going to trust the Lord. Every time somebody comes to get me, the Lord makes them prophesy in his name. You see how we just don't trust the Lord like we should. Even David, the servant of God. So long story short, David interacts with the priest, And when Saul finds out that David has interacted with the priest, he puts all the priests to death. Here's my point. You thinking about yourself. If you're just thinking about yourself, if we're just thinking about ourselves, it's going to lead to the death of the ministry in your life. Not You say, well, do you mean you, Brother Tim? It could. I don't mean physical death. It could mean that the, the preaching of the gospel, the ministry, the gifts that God has given to the, to the people of God means nothing anymore. You've put it to death because you're thinking about yourself. Does that make sense? It also could mean that you put to death your own ministry. You have a ministry. You have a gift that God has given you. And if all you ever do is sit around and think about yourself, how are you going to exercise that gift? Okay, after David flees and goes and gets the priest killed... Saul put them all to death, except for one. He puts them to death. It says that he fled to Gath in verse 10 of 1 Samuel 21. Now listen. Y'all remember a guy, a big, hairy, nasty guy, about 14 feet tall, whose name was Goliath? You remember where he was from? He was from Gath. So David, in his thinking about himself, he flees to the land of the enemy. He goes to Gath. And by the way, if you do a little careful reading of Scripture, you'll find that Goliath had, there was more than just Goliath. He had several brothers. And don't you know they were laying low to try to, I know they were laying low to try to, to take out David if they could. So David goes down to Gath. And he tries to find refuge in a place that's a foreign place that, that is an enemy's land. How many of God's children, when they're just thinking about themselves, they seek refuge in the enemy's land? They ought to be seeking refuge in the promised land of the church of the Lord, you see. And so David goes down there and he acts like a crazy man. Whenever the king finds out, is this not David that they sang that number one hit song about Saul is slain as thousands? David is 10,000. Is this not David that killed Goliath? They said, that's David. He's, and the king, David gets scared again. And so David starts acting like a man who's gone insane. It says he started, I think of a dog that has rabies, you know, that froths at the mouth. You know, that's what David started doing. He started scratching on the door. Can you look out there and see David? You know, the man who stood in front of Goliath and claimed the name of the Lord and thought about the Lord. And there he is, he's dribbling out of his mouth with spit. And he's scratching on the door like a crazy man. And they said, we don't want to have anything to do with this guy. He might be infected with something. Get him out of here. When you think about yourself. People have a low opinion of Christianity, low opinion of ministry. They looked at David, a crazy man, acting like a crazy man. They thought, who is this guy? I don't want to be around him. What about 2 Samuel 11? The night that David should have been out in the camp of his men. And in 2 Samuel 11, was David thinking about David? Or was David thinking about God when he went out on his roof and he looked out over there and he saw Bathsheba without any clothes on taking a bath? Who was David thinking about? You see, whenever he was only thinking about himself, what did he do with the family of Bathsheba? He destroyed and divided. So when you think about yourself, you just destroy and divide fellowship and family. And for us today, church. If you just think about yourself and that's all you ever meditate or contemplate on, it leads to dividing. You say, well, a big church split and division. it It might not be that way. It just might be that we don't have any interaction or any fellowship. See? You just think about yourself. But it can definitely lead to division and strife. See? People just thinking about themselves. Now, here's my closing thoughts for you on this subject of being thoughtful. Thoughts on being thoughtful. What I derive from the situation we see here with David where he's thinking about the Lord and trying to figure out, what can I do? How can I honor God? First of all, Whenever you think of someone else like David thought of the Lord, you give the person that you're thinking about something that they'll never forget. I've told you instances before in my life where somebody would do something for me, and if I have a memory to remember those things, they're precious to me. I think about the things my parents had done for me. You say, well, they're your parents. They're supposed to. Well, my parents, in my opinion, did more for me than they they should have or had to, and I was certainly unworthy of it. (laughs) And I, and I think, like David did, when I think of my parents and how good they were to me, I think, who am I? And what, am I, what is my house? Who am I that they would be so good to me? Because I'm just a ruined sinner. You see, you give the person that you're thinking of and you're acting on something that they'll never forget. And by the way, God never forgot that night where David thought of him. It comes up again and again and again. Those twenty two times that I mentioned to you where he says, My servant David, my servant David, almost all of those, all of those, without exception, are references to David's to the kingdom that God established through David, ultimately by Jesus Christ. So you give the person that you're thinking of something that they'll never forget. Is that not the truth? It might be a husband bringing flowers home. It might be uh, doing some favor for someone when you don't have time. You give somebody something to think about that they'll never forget. And you also, watch this now, you also, by virtue of thinking of others, by virtue of David thinking about God that night, he was not thinking about himself, right? In other words, when you 're thinking about others, you're crowding out the thoughts of self, you see because you 're thinking about somebody else, you don't have a double mind, you can't think two things at one time, <laughs> and you're thinking about someone else, you're not thinking about yourself. You know the old uh, Tom T. Hall song, there was a line in it, and I 'm going to clarify this so you sisters don't get upset, but there was a line in the old Tom T. Hall song that said, "You know, women, they think about themselves when men folk ain't around." <laughs> And I'm expanding that. I don't just mean that applies to the, to the sisters, okay? That's all of us. We just think about ourselves, right? If you say, uh-uh, well, then you're thinking about yourself. <laughs> we think about ourselves. Listen to me very carefully. Let me, let me show you how this can play out. The proverb says that a child left to themselves brings their mother to shame. Okay, you want to know how that plays out? Why does it bring a mother to shame or a father to shame when a child is left to themselves? If they're left to themselves and they're not nurtured and they're not taught and they're not given things that they need to grow and understand. I'm not just talking about physical. I mean how to interact, how to love one another, how to get along with siblings. That's an ongoing thing if there's more than one sibling in the house for sure. But if they're not given that, then they're left to themselves. Just go to your room. I don't have time to fool with this they're going to bring their parents to shame. Why? Because they're selfish. You see? I know the outcome of, of my children, the ones that are still at home, still has yet to be seen in sense of where they're going to wind up, what are they going to be doing. But I'm just telling you, I'm, I've seen enough and I know enough, and I don't consider myself an expert by any means, but I've seen enough and know enough that the tenderest years, say from age 3, 4, 5, on down to 9 or 10 those are the prime years when that needs to be taught. And it seems to me like those are the years that I've like been the most tired. <laughs> you know, it, it you just feel worn out all the time, especially when you have more than one child. But you understand, this is something that a parent should be sensitive to when children are very small. And I'm just gonna be honest with you. This thing that I'm recording on here, right here, and the iPad, the iPhone, those, those different things, if a parent just leaves those children to that, they're going to be selfish. Because that's what they think about, and they don't want to be taken away from it. It's a proven, it's a proven fact. You've got to be careful, parents, about that. I tell you, I mentioned last week, that's one of the giants to me. I want to slay that giant and make sure I'm not giving my child too much time on that. But if I just use that as a babysitter, or I just that's the default that my child goes to, I need to take it out of their hands, and I need to get them to look me in the eye. And I need to teach them some things. I need to interact with them. Sometimes at home, I'll just, you know, we maybe watch a movie. Nothing wrong with watching a movie. But if all we ever do is watch a movie and we don't interact and we don't look each other in the eye and we don't converse with each other, how are my children ever going to know how to converse with anybody else? You see? And yes, there's times when they're at the foot of the bed, like last night, and I'm just exhausted. I'm having to just pinch myself to stay awake. But that's what I come back to. I think, you know, I'll never have this moment back again. This is a moment to interact, no matter how tired I am. This is a moment that God has given me. And maybe I can teach them something. Maybe I can just listen to them and help them process something, you see. But if we leave them to themselves, they're going to only think about themselves. Does that make sense? That's what that verse means. A child left to himself brings his mother and his father to shame. By not speaking, by not socializing, by not being taught. Whether you realize this or not, but... I've said this before, but you have to teach your children to be friendly, right? They don't come prepackaged friendly. I've told you my own experience, and I know Sister Tracy gets tired of hearing my old stories. But you know, when I was six or seven years, uh, five or six years old, and I wouldn't shake hands at church. I know y'all can't believe that. I know it sounds like that's another person for Brother Tim, but I wouldn't shake hands at church. And Dad took me home, and he said, "Son, if you don't start shaking hands, I'm I'm going to wear you out, so buddy." I was shaking hands the next Sunday. Because I'd been worn out before. You know, that discipline, that interaction, that, he didn't even spank me for that. He just rebuked me. And ever since then, I've been shaking hands. Now, it's like uh, Brother Luke said here recently, you know, a lot of times when you do a lot of handshaking, people think you're running for office. I'm not running for any office. I just didn't want to spank it from my daddy when I was five or six years old. You have to teach that, parents. Parents, you might have to teach yourself that. How many times have people come into this church and said, that's the friendliest church I've ever been to? We want to keep that standard, don't we? Well, it's not going to come by not speaking and not interacting. And listen, listen, listen. I know, I know even now, you know, maybe we're doing this right here. We're, we're bumping elbows. I kind of think we ought to get back to maybe head button, you know, poo. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would be way past, you know, infringement on social distancing for sure. But you don't, if, you, if, if you're doing your elbow, if you're doing your fist, if you're shaking a hand, you know, just be friendly. You can still be friendly, Right. I tell you, that is, a, that is a tool. I tell you, it's a weapon that this church has. And, you know, if you look at the arsenal of weapons when it comes to, you know, we don't have this, we don't have that, we don't have the other, but we do have friendliness. And you, the, listen, here's the point. I'm not going off on a tangent away from the subject. You can't think about yourself and be friendly. You've got to think about somebody else if you're going to be friendly. Otherwise, you'd just be walking along and thinking, me, 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 me. If you're going to be friendly, if you're going to interact, if you're going to socialize, you have to be thinking about somebody else. And just remember, it goes against our nature. So, third point. First point, if you forgot, was when you are thinking about someone else, you give them something that they'll never forget. Like God never forgot about David. Never forgot that night. He always went back to it. You forget about yourself when you're thinking about someone else. And then your thoughtfulness towards others, I'm telling you, leads to more thoughtfulness towards God. Is that not David's experience? David said, I want to build a house for the Lord. Nathan said, the Lord has said your son's going to build that house, but the Lord is going to establish your kingdom forever. And David just went off and said, oh, that was great. That was a great experience. Yeah, I deserve that. Is that what he did? No, he went and he sat down and he said, who am I? Who am I? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? It just made David think more about God. And child of grace, you're here today. You're here today because of that promise that God made to David. Because of God's heart being shown to David. And revealing to David and saying, David, when you're dead and gone, I'm going to set up a kingdom. And that kingdom's going to go on forever. That is the kingdom that the church is a part of today. I don't have time to go into it because I promised you I was going to give you some time back. And I'm going to do that. But Jesus said when he came, he said, my meat, my will, my purpose of being here is to do the will of my father and finish his work. When Jesus came, he was not thinking about himself. As a matter of fact, it says in the Philippian letter, the second chapter, I believe it is maybe the third chapter. It says that, uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. The thought process of Jesus was to be a servant. Y'all see that? And did he accomplish what he set out to do? (laughs) Of course he did. How did he do it? He wasn't thinking about himself. You want to be a servant of God? You want to serve God in a way that pleases Him? Stop thinking about yourself. Start thinking about God. Thinking about the things that God has done for you. I assure you that if you understand the truth of grace and what God has done for you in raising you up from the dunghill of your iniquities and the wretchedness of your deadness and sins and you look upon the Lord and if you come to any other conclusion, then who am I? Then you're just not looking at it right. That's the conclusion that we come to when we stop thinking about ourselves. And by the way, we're living in a society that only thinks about itself. Have you got on Facebook lately? I tell you, Facebook is one of the the one of the bitterest and most evil tools that Satan has. There's people shredding each other apart, probably right now on Facebook. This is my opinion. That's my opinion. Are they thinking about themselves? Are they thinking about somebody, about the Lord, or, or others? Facebook, it could have been such an incredible tool to propagate the gospel, to spread truth. And we try to post messages, hope to post this message on there. But think about you. You, you call somebody and you say. Well, did you hear about so-and-so, what they said on Facebook? You know, they blasted somebody. They, they ruined the reputation of some person. Just gushing out, what? Self. Self. 2 Second, Second Timothy 3 says that in the last days, men shall be lovers of what? Their own selves. So, if we want to serve God in a way that pleases God, we can't think about ourselves. We need to be thinking about others. And we need to be thinking about the Lord. See? Does that make sense? That is why David's name still rings down through the ages. And one of the best ways that you can think of the Lord is to listen to the, what the Lord says when He says, Repent and be baptized. Follow the Lord into His church. We give you that opportunity as we stand and sing some song.